Man, nothing like having the Beatles leading us in worship this morning. I bet you've never heard Hey Jude on a Sunday morning, huh? Anybody out there, Hey Jude is like your favorite song. Anybody? One of your top, yeah, one. Scott, come on, Scotty, I know you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, hey, it is Song Fest, and we're going to be celebrating some songs, and we are going to to bring it back to the Bible. You know, songs touch our hearts. In fact, this song is August 26th of 1968. And the Beatles released that single that you just heard, Hey Jude. It was written, written by Paul McCartney. It quickly became the number one song in the, in the UK, in the United States, Australia, Canada, and it was almost about 20 different countries. You know, the Hey Jude has sold, it's, I think it's quadruple, Platinum. It sold over eight billion, eight no, eight billion, hmm, eight million copies. <laughs> I did a couple of searches on uh, just the greatest songs of all time. Hey Jude is on every one of those lists that I that I looked up. You know, the song was originally uh, titled "Hey Jules." It was written by McCarty to to John Lennon's son, Julian. It was a song in, intended to, uh, to bring him, him comfort in a time of, of deep distress. John Lennon had left, uh, left his wife and was, um, was in a relationship with, a, uh, with the uh, Japanese artist Yoko Ono. And, and um, so McCartney was going to go and just, just be there uh, for Julian and his, his mom, Cynthia, uh, during this time. And it... Uh, McCartney, he, he wrote about the song. He says, I, I had about an hour drive and I would always turn the radio off and try to make up songs just in case. He says, I, I started singing, Hey Jules, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. It was optimistic, a hopeful message for Julian, he wrote. You know, songs, they do move us. They inspire us. They can encourage us. They can help us, I think, especially in those times of need. If you think about those moments in your life when you've faced a trial, a difficulty, a big something in your life, sometimes it's a song that comes along that's like, man, that speaks, that speaks to me. Some of the best songs like Hey Jude, they have a way of grabbing our heart and speaking into the difficult and challenging times in our lives by offering hope. You know, there's also a, a collection of songs, but these songs were actually written by the hand of God. And he's given them to us, and they're in the Bible. It's a, a collection of about 150 songs. They're divided up into five sections. It's called the Book of Psalms. It's God's songs to us. And it, uh, they, they speak about just about every kind of, of human experience, good, bad, difficult. They point us to, to his character, his work, and, and his promises. And they're written to encourage us, to build us up, to help us see, it's especially in times of great difficulty, the hope that's found in God. And I want us to look at a particular song that I think tracks along with Hey Jude, some of those same themes Psalm 13, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to, to, turn, to turn to the psalm. It's 
Psalms are right in the very middle of your Bible. You can just almost like open it up about halfway. Psalm. We're going to be over to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. If you're using one of those black Bibles, you can find it real quickly. Page 453. So I want to just read this song. It's a short, just six verses. Three stanzas of two verses each. Follow along as I read. To the choir master, or the, to the choir director, a psalm of David. So David, King David, is writing this psalm. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But... But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. It's a beautiful song, a song of lament. I think the, if you were to just kind of boil this down to, you know, what is this psalm about? I think it's because, you could say it like this, because of God's promise-keeping and loyal love, we can trust that our sad song will be made better. <laughs> because God is a promise-keeping God, and because His love is faithful and loyal, He will take our sad song and make it better. A couple things. There's really three things in this psalm I want us to, to walk away from today. First of all, I want you to see that it's, it's okay to lament to God. In fact, we should lament to God. Julian, in that time of struggle when he's, he doesn't fully understand and his, his mom and dad has, have, have separated and now his, his dad is with another woman. What is going on here? Sorrow. Times of trials, difficulty. It's It's okay. In fact, it's good to lament to God. You know, this, this song, Psalm 13, written by David, it begins, it really begins as a sad song. We don't know what the circumstances are in, in David's life, what's going on, but it's, it's a heavy, he's carrying something very, very heavy. The song has, again, three stanzas, you can see it. Oftentimes your Bible will kind of out, uh, have a little space in between those, verse 1 and 2, and then you'll see a space, and then verse 3 and 4, a space, and 5 and 6. The first two verses, this first stanza, did you notice four times David cries out, How long? How long? Oh God, how long? Lord, how long? You know that saying, time flies when you're having fun? But when you're on the opposite end, it's, it's, it's dead opposite, right? When, when things are rough, it's like time creeps along. Ever been in the hospital? 
And it's like, you just feel like, you, how, how long is this going to be? Desperation. Desperation. And the desperation in this song is, it's not in the slowness of God's response. Did you notice it's really in, it's in his lack of response completely. Do you notice, actually, I want you to see kind of this downward spiral that David, David goes through. First, David feels like God has forgotten him. He's, first, how long? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? You've forgotten me. I'm out here all, all alone, and uh, where are you? I'm, I'm crying out. God, how long am I going to have to experience this? He feels abandoned, alone, and forgotten. But his desperation descends further. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? You know, it's one thing to feel alone, to feel forgotten. But it's another thing to feel like, okay, God, he knows what I'm going through, but he's turned his back on me. To be, to feel rejection. To feel like God has just turned, turned his face away. But the descent gets worse. David begins to turn inward and consults his heart and soul that's in, actually the word is turmoil. This, my soul is in turmoil within me. And I'm beginning to think my mind is racing and my heart is, is going all kinds of places. Guilt, shame, self-blame, more feel his mind. And they feel ours in those times. Is it something I've done? God, why are you punishing me? I feel worthless in this situation. It's amazing. You see this. Not only is he, is he struggling in his mind and the, de- the despair and the depression seems to be rising. It goes even further there at the end of that second verse. The descent continues to a point where the Really, the enemy, his, he's calling out about his enemies rising up above him. And I mean, that's what happens in us. It's like our, the enemy of our soul begins just to attack us and shed lies. And we begin to believe these things. And we're, we're down, we're hurting, and he doesn't care. He starts gut punching us and even kicking us when we're down. Puts his, puts his foot on us. Like, ah, I got him, I got him. The downward spiral feels like Satan is even just laughing at our, at our plight. Let me ask you, have you ever been on a descent like this? I, I've been there. In the middle of a struggle, have you ever maybe just felt, maybe that first stage, that just felt alone, uh, abandoned, forgotten? Maybe even a little bit further. Maybe you feel, feel rejected. Feel like, I mean, you're, you're calling out to God. You've been praying, and it's just, it's not just silence. You feel like he's, he doesn't even care. He's walked, walked away from you. Has the struggle led to feelings of guilt and shame, despair, or even worthlessness? Well, friend, if, if that describes you, you're not alone. That's exactly where David is here. 
David has experienced all of those things. And he's crying out, he's lamenting, how long, how long must this go on? This is a man whom God loved dearly and personally chose him, set him apart to be king over Israel. This is a man who's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. What does he do when God's voice goes silent? What does he do when it feels like, when he feels like that God has turned his back on him? Well, he laments. He laments. To lament is to passionately express feelings of honest anguish, sorrow, grief. maybe, Maybe your marriage has felt lifeless for a long time. Maybe you're in the midst of a long health battle that seems to move up and down. It's just up and down, but it doesn't move forward. Maybe you're in a job that leaves you more exhausted than fulfilled. Maybe you're wondering if you'll ever see your prodigal child come back. Maybe you're struggling with an aging parent with dementia or some other debilitating illness. Maybe your financial burdens are, I mean, it just, it seems like you're down in a hole and there's no way out. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one and the pain will, will just not subside. Maybe, maybe your parents have divorced and the struggle is, is real. Our psalm tells us that it's okay to lament. It's okay. Can I even say, I, I think what David is doing here, he's complaining. He's complaining to God. He's not going out to all his friends and going, man, this, you know, just complaining about life. He's going to God with his complaints and his laments. God, I feel alone. I feel abandoned. Where are you? How long do I have to deal with this? Our psalm tells us, again, it's okay. Cry out to God in this way. It's okay to sing the sad song. I think that's what Paul McCartney was wanting to do, to tell that young boy and to tell Cynthia, hey, it's okay. I get it. Cry out. It's a sad song. It's okay to come to God and passionately express feelings of abandonment and rejection. You know, Jesus did that. Do you remember some of his words when he was on the cross? He was bearing the weight of all the sin upon his shoulders. And God had turned his face away. Remember what Jesus said? My God, my God, why have you, what? Forsaken me. Why have you forgotten me? Why have you turned away? Here I am in my greatest time of need and I'm bearing this weight. My God, my God, where are you? Jesus did it. Oh friend, we can do it too. When you're in the middle of a storm and it feels like you're all alone, lament to God. 
And you might be thinking, now, what? That's, that is me. I, I am right there. Or, hey, I know a friend. And, but what do, how do I lead them? How do I do this? Well, let me just encourage you to read the Psalms. Read the laments of David. Come back to Psalm 13 and read it as, as your own. Oh, Lord, how long, how long will you forget me forever? Read Psalm 22. Beautiful lament. You'll see many of the words of Christ there on the cross. Read Psalm 42. Another beautiful, beautiful psalm of lament. Let your heart cry out those words. Psalm 60. Psalm 88. God's given us these songs because He knows that we're going to be in those times and it's going to feel like God is nowhere. It's going to feel like we're, we're crying out to Him and there's no answer. You'll feel alone. He's given us songs to sing, sad songs to sing. And friends, it's okay. In fact, it's good for our souls. Lament to God. I think secondly, our psalm tells us to ask of God. To ask of God. Notice in the second stanza of our song there in verse 3, David asks God three questions. Simply put, he says, consider me, answer me, and give me light. Give me light upon my eyes. There in verse 3, he, he presses into the personal relationship that he has with God. Did you notice it there? He says, he says, oh, Lord, not the God, oh, Lord, my God. And that word, Lord, is, that, is the word, it's the, the original word is, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's that covenant-keeping, relational, personal God that walked with the people of Israel, that hung with them, that stood by them, the promise-keeping God. Oh, Lord, oh, promise-keeping God, you are my God. David knows that even though he can't hear God's voice, though he can't see God's hand at work, he can still rest in God's character and his promises. I love what David asks of God, these, these three asks. He's like, God, first, see me. Here I am. It's like um, we've had some, some people in the news, you know, some shipwrecks or you know, guys lost out at sea and... Uh, or you, you've seen the movies, it's uh, somebody's on a deserted island, you know, they get some, some trees out there and they form an SOS and maybe a ship goes by or maybe, you know, you're, you're on that boat and the, the engine is, is broken and you're just, you're, you're, you're drifting out at sea and, and another boat comes near, you see them off in the distance. What do you, what does that person do? He doesn't, he doesn't just hang out. He gets up on the end of that boat and it's like, here, here I am. See me. Right here. Wave. That's what David is doing here. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Consider. Consider me. See me. That word is, look. Look here. Second, David says, answer me. Or now, here I am, come, come and help me. I need you. Here I am, Lord, save me. I need your help. 
And then he, he closes it out with this third, it says, shine your light. Give me light. Bring light. And I'm in darkness. The thing that I need is light. I need your light. Here I am, Lord. Save me and bring your strength, your goodness, your grace, your compassion, your forgiveness into my life. That's what I need. I'm dealing with shame and guilt in the middle of this situation. God, I need your rescue. Here I am. That's what David is doing. He's crying out. He's asking of God. Friends, when we feel alone and abandoned in our trials and struggles, turn to Him. Ask of Him. You know, it's interesting. We've been seeing the, just the devastating pictures of, of the loss and destruction caused by the fire out there at, at Maui there on August 8th. The loss of life and possessions, income for so many Hawaiian families. We were talking about it this morning with some of the guys out there. It's, I mean, it's just almost overwhelming. It may seem in, insignificant. I mean, to, to show up to those folks who have such need and just look at them and say, well, hey, ask of God. I mean, it almost feels like, I mean, that doesn't even seem like enough. Well, of course, we, we want to respond. We can respond. In fact, um, you know, Southern Baptists are, are, are gathering. They're mobilizing. We have churches over there. Our, um, we have a the North American Mission Board right now is collecting resources to, to help mobilize people over there to help meet those needs. In fact, if you want to learn more about how you can give and participate, you can go to this, go to this website. It's sinrelief.org. I think it's back there. Maybe. Nope. Don't have it. Take it back. It's, if you go to sendrelief.org, and then you'll, you, you can go to that website and see uh, what Southern Baptists are doing to, to help meet that need. And you can actually give, and it'll help support uh, the, the people there. But those folks, they do need physical and monetary help from people and organizations. It's going to be vital. Government's going to come in there. The, the military will probably come in there and help them. And it's a long road. But not only do they need the physical and monetary, monetary need, what they, help, they, what they need more than anything is the supernatural, spiritual, overwhelming presence and help that comes from God. And so we pray and we ask. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Let's pray for those folks over there. God, we come to you even now, and, and though we are on this side of it, it's hard to, to fully understand the loss, but our hearts do break for them. Thousand people still unaccounted for. Our loved ones, I'm sure they're checking websites all the time. Where is so-and-so? Where are they? Are they alive? And just wondering. And then their homes and everything they have, their businesses, gone. Oh, God, how long? How long? And so we cry out. We ask, God, that you would, you would show up in a, in a powerful way. God, you would... God, uh, help all the various organizations and churches that are standing alongside them. We, we thank you for, 
for these um, means of grace that can bring food and water and, and just help them stand and help them recover the things that have been lost. But God, we know that it all can't be recovered. Loss of life is irreplaceable. So God, would you be their comforter? Would you be their strength? Would you fill them with, with hope in the midst of the sad song? God, would you make it better in a way that only you can? In Jesus' name, amen. Lament to God, ask of God. And third, our psalm calls us to trust in God, trust in God. You know, every psalm of, of lament, all those that I mentioned a minute ago, they'll, 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 it, the song is in the minor key. It's, it's sad. It's heavy. But they're, all laments have a turn. There's a turn somewhere. You're in the darkness, and then all of a sudden the door opens and there's light. Now, some of the, some of the laments, it's a small crack, but it's, it's enough light that it brings hope. Hey, there's hope at the end of this struggle. And in our song here, Psalm 13, this turn is found in, in stanza 3, verse 5. Look at it. David had gone on, how long, how long, how long, how long? He begins to cry out to God and ask of God. And then he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Now think about this. David feels alone. He feels abandoned, forgotten, rejected. He feels worthless. He laments to God. He, then he comes and he offers his honest, heart-wrenching feelings in anguish. He asks God. He prays and makes specific requests of God. Did you notice how God answers? Did you see it in there? It's not there. God does not answer. He is not, nowhere in here does God answer him. His voice is still silent. So in the midst, we don't know what he's going through. He, you know, this was the man who killed Goliath, but then he's on the run as, as King Saul was trying to kill him. And then his son turned against him and was out to kill him. He lost everything, his home, and was living out in the desert, running from cave to cave. Maybe it was in one of those desperate times. He was a man after God's heart, but he, he was a sinner. Bathsheba. The weight of it. And here he is, maybe, maybe in one of those moments, and he's lamenting, he's crying out to God. There's no answer. And then verse 5, but though I don't hear you, God, I trust I trust you. I trust in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice, will rejoice in the ways that you have shown yourself strong in my life. David moves towards God in unwavering trust and heartfelt joy. Now, friends, trusting in God isn't just some nebulous feeling. I mean, you ever been through something and somebody comes at me, just, you can just trust God. I mean, that's a, that's a good word, but what does that mean? We were talking about this the other day. And stuff. What does it mean? Hey, 
hey, just trust God. Okay. All right, I want to. That's okay. David does it. He cries out. So, but how does, how does, what does that look like? I think it begins by, in a sense, taking a, a stake and putting it in the ground and declaring your allegiance to Him. You see what David does in this psalm? Though God, again, it seems to be silent and distant, and though David feels this sense of abandonment and rejection, he prays to God, and before he even hears the sound, the rustle of God's voice or sees God's hand at work in his life, he says, but he takes that stake and puts it in the ground and says, right there, God, I am trusting you. And I think when we face those times, when those times just get overwhelming, it, there comes a time when we have to just stop and just say, right now, right here, I'm putting a stake in the ground through it all. If I don't even hear from God, I'm going to say it. God, I trust you. Say those words. God, I trust you. I don't even know what all that means, but, but I'm going to walk through it because I know that you can be trusted. You are faithful and good. You know, it's what Job cries out in the middle of his suffering. He lost everything, everything, family, possessions, everything. And he says in Job 13, the first part of verse 15, Though he slay me, though God slay me, though he kill me, though he bring this weight upon me, I will hope in him. I've lost everything, God, yet I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to trust you. They, uh, no, it was Joshua. They, they had uh, gone into the promised land. They had enemies all around. They had conquered and conquered. And it was, Joshua was about to, his ministry was about over. And he's standing there with his people. He's like, you got to choose this day who you're going to serve. You can serve the God who's walked with us all these years and brought us into this, into this promised land. You've seen his hand. You've seen the past, how God has shown up every time. We didn't even have to fight. All we had to do, remember, we blew the trumpets and the walls came down. We went into that other city and they were fighting among themselves. And we just took the city. God was always there. Remember, even when we were back in the, in the desert, we didn't have food. And we would we'd open the tent doors. We'd walk out and there it was, manna. All the bread, the bread of heaven for us to eat. We didn't know where we were going to get water. Remember, Moses just, he took this, his staff and water came out like a river out of the rock. God has been faithful. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Either that God or are you going to serve the gods of the peoples. But as for me and my house, it's a state. Wham! I'm going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Friend, in the midst of the trial, grab your stake, put it in the ground. Say, I don't understand what's going on. I'm crying out and God doesn't say, but I know who he is. And you say, I trust in you. I'm going to place my hope in you. I love Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. It says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. 
In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? If you're facing a struggle right now, the first thing you need to do is verbally declare your trust in God. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. Second, David rejoices and he sings. David's trust, he trusted in God's faithful love, steadfast love, loyal, unrelenting love. It doesn't go away. This isn't that ooey-gooey feeling that my wife and I have. It is that and it's more. It's the commitment we've made to one another. That in the good times and the bad times, we love. That's how God is with us. It's not just this feeling love. It is a deep, committed love. A loyal love. David sings because the Lord has been gracious and generous throughout his lifetime. You know, here's what often happens when we find ourselves in a trial. We get... um, what I would call spiritual nearsightedness. Spiritual nearsightedness. I think nearsightedness in the medical term, myopic or myopia. Some of you eye people. It's like all we can see is like right here. All that's in front. We can't see off into the distance. We can't see off into the past. We can't see off into the future. All we can see is right here. So what happens is that the trial, the struggle, the difficulty just seems overwhelming. But if we'll we'll step back a minute and look back, you'll see that God has been with you. Even in the silence now, God has shown himself faithful all alone. Do you you want to know how to take a sad song and make it better? Look back over your life and throw down some more stakes. You've already put down one stake right here. God, I'm going to trust you. Then begin to look back. Look back over your life like, oh yeah, God did this and throw a stake right there. Angela and I have done that. We've done it recently. We've we've done it kind of through our lives, kind of looking back, especially in those those moments of of challenge. We we got married when we were at seminary. We lived in this little duplex. We didn't have a whole lot of money. And then we took a church. I didn't know what I was doing. My first full-time church. And uh, we moved. uh, We were living in a garage apartment. In the, in, in the heat wasn't as hot as it is here right now, but it was hot. We didn't have AC. We had an attic fan, and um, it was hard. It was hard, but God was faithful to us, building our marriage together there, sweat. and our, Then we were building a house. We started building, building a house and had our first child, and right in the middle of that, our church split. But God showed himself faithful. I went out and got a, I became Immediately, I became bivocational. Started working in a, in a paint department, mixing paint, and then still serving at the church. But God was faithful. Bam, right there. Boom, stake in the ground. It was that same year I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. It took us a little while to figure that out. But in the midst of it, God was faithful. He showed himself good. Remember, we had our second child, Jeremy. Soon after his birth, he was... All of a sudden, something happened. He was kind of very lifeless. We went to the doctor. They said, get to the hospital now. We think he might have meningitis. What does that mean? You look that up, it's not good. But God was faithful through that. We were on our way to Georgia one, one summer. 
from Arkansas. We had made our way to Memphis. We were visiting a, a, a church that I had served in, and we got a phone call and um, said, hey, you need, to, you, both, you need to come take this phone call. And we left out of the service and went and got the news that her brother had died of a heart attack. God was faithful through it. It was hard, but God was faithful through it. A stake in the ground. We saw his hand working. We had both boys. We wanted another. We tried and tried and tried. Year went by, year went by, seven years. And we had to trust in the Lord. We cried out to him, God, how long? How long? How long? We long to have another child in the first God. Where are you? We're crying out to you. Seven years. And then God showed himself faithful. Gave us Bethany. 2012, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Went through a lot. God was faithful. Faithful every time. And we go back and we see it. There's a stake right there and another one here and another one here, another one there, another one there. And they lead all the way up to right now. And I look, you look back and you go, they're not just scattered about. They're, they, they have a plan and a purpose and they brought us to this moment now. God is faithful. Friends, when you're going through the difficulties of life, it is good to look back. That's what David, I have looked back at your steadfast love. You have been good to me. You have saved me. You have done, you've been with me all along. In the moment, I didn't see it. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't hear your voice when I was in that desert running around, chasing after who knows what. But yet, God, I can see the stakes and they are leading to me to right now. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. When you can, you can trace God's goodness and faithfulness throughout your life. Sit down and do it. You'll be blown away. Myopia. Nearsighted. Spiritual nearsightedness. It's the worst. What it does is it, it makes God small. And it makes our problems big. What David's doing, he's like looking back. Quit Look back and see it. And you'll see that God is big and your problem is really small in His eyes. God is good. He literally takes a sad song and He makes it better. Trust in God. That's what it looks like. Trust Him. Like there may be some of you here today, maybe you've never trusted in the Lord. You're, just, you're walking through life and you may not even see the future, but friend, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of God's plan, His design. We've sinned. We've turned our backs against God, but He hasn't turned His back on us. That sin has consequences. It has alienated us. It has separated us from Him. But He has loved us with a great love. He sent His Son he died on the cross. He took the weight of our sin. And for all who will turn and trust in him, even if you don't understand all, God, I trust you. What does he do? 
He takes that sin away, he forgives it, and he gives you new life. He opens the door. Now there's light. He, he brings light to your eyes like David. He brings light into your darkness so that in the midst of trial, you can have joy. You can have hope. You can have peace. He holds your tomorrow. Let me give you one last action step from our psalm. You know, David is singing this song personally. It's all me, me. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your, in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. But did you notice the uh, prescript at the beginning of the psalm? It says... To the choir master, to the choir leader. David is no soloist. He's writing this song and we sing it just like we sing a lot of our, our songs today. We sing it in the, in the first person. But we're not soloists. This is meant to be sung by the choir, by us, by the congregation. It is a song for all of us. It's a song that we can sing. It's a sad song that has a turn where we can see that God makes it better. There's a sweetness that comes with being together, gathering together in worship like this. There's a sweetness to this. Meeting together in life groups. Oh, friend, if you, if you haven't joined a life group, I want to encourage you to, to plug in 9, 9.30. Our groups get together and it is, there's, there's some sweetness in there share, gather around the word and fellowship together, gathering together over a meal. When our seniors come together, we're going to gather in here and sing some songs, sing some old songs, you pick, your, pick your favorite hymn, then we're going to go out and have a delicious meal together and just talk about the goodness of God, the sweetness of friendships. How old is a senior? I don't know. Just come on. You've got a little gray? Come on. <laughs> playing pickleball together. You know, we've started this thing. It's kind of gone crazy in our church. Sunday, uh, this afternoon, 4 o'clock, right up here. You want to come just have a, have a sweet time together? Right there in the gym, 4 o'clock. We'll teach you. If you don't know, come on. Come on. So many, many other ways. You know, serving together is a beautiful way to experience the sweetness of of being a church body, a family together, getting a part of a serve team. I mean, if you're not a member of a church, I want to encourage you to, hey, this is a great church to be a part of. Maybe you're listening online and you're thinking about, hey, I, I'm, I'm looking for a church. Hey, this would be a great one. Every uh, first Sunday of the month, I lead a class called uh, our, our, our Step One. It's a Get Connected class. and will tell you all about what it looks like to become a part of the, of the family here at first. This past month, we had a couple of folks went through it and are ready to become an official part of this family. In trials, friends, don't isolate. Associate. When you're in a trial, don't isolate. Associate. Friend, every time we gather together, there is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. 
This place is a, is a place of healing. We've seen that. Some have been hurt by churches. Some have been going through trial. And it's a great place to come and just receive healing from the Lord, from the, from the fellowship and encouragement of others. First Baptist Church, God is doing some wonderful things here. It's a joy to be a part of it. It's a joy to stand alongside you. There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Let's pray together. God, you are good even when we don't hear it or see it from you. God, you are faithful even when it feels like we're alone. Even when it feels like we're rejected and abandoned. But your promises say that's not the case. You are always with us. You never leave us. And even in the midst of the storm, you are walking there with us. In the fire, you are holding us and we will not get burned. In the floodwaters, we will not drown. God, you care for us. Oh, what a God. Today, God, we say again, we trust you. God, if we look back, if we were to be honest and we look back over our lives, God, you have been there. So God, we trust you with today. We trust you with the trial. And we trust you for our tomorrows. God, thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for this dear, sweet fellowship of saints. Thank you for the sweet spirit that is among us. God, continue to move and stir in our hearts. Unite us for great things now and in the days ahead. God, we we trust you as a church to do more than we could ask or even think according to the power and work in us for the glory of Christ this church. And we give you praise. We sing to you even in the trial. In Jesus' name.